This morning we look at Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1 as we continue to think about thinking. Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Brothers, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me. Practice, the, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I used to think that I was going to be one of the world's greatest baseball players who ever lived. Uh, that's me in front of a statue of Warren Spahn, and I was pretty sure that there was someplace going to be a picture of Warren Spahn standing in front of a statue of me uh, one day, that, that I was going to be this incredible uh, baseball player. I loved baseball. I loved reading about baseball. I loved playing baseball in my mind, and I mean, I was fully committed uh, to baseball. And so uh, when my parents finally signed me up uh, to play on an organized baseball team, and I got my uniform and my hat and my socks and my stirrups and, and and my shoes and all that. I mean, I looked fantastic, and I was well on my way to being one of the all-time great baseball players uh, of all time. And uh, Susan asked me when I was telling her the story, well, how old were you? I said about 30. Um, but I had hopes. I had dreams. I just knew this is what my calling was going to be. I was going to be great at this, and I want you to know that I was great, except for hitting the ball and and catching the ball. The hard parts I wasn't quite as good at, but the stuff in between, boy, was I really, really uh, good at it. But sometimes it is the hard parts that kind of get in the way sometimes. Last Sunday, if you remember well, that's not the hard part, but maybe it is. But last week, if you remember well, we talked about the calling in our lives to think like Jesus. How'd you do? How did you do in the last seven days of making sure that you interpreted, engaged, and interacted with the world in which we live in the same way that Jesus did, to have the same mind as Christ? How did you do? Here's my assumption. I think you did great. I think you did fantastic. I think that you, that you absolutely hit it out of the ballpark, except in maybe some of the hard parts. You were like me at baseball. I'm really good at all of it except for the hitting the ball and the catching of the ball. I did great thinking like Jesus except in, in this area, this area, in this area. You know, if I were to think about some of those trouble spots, 
Some of those things that, that knock us off our game, some of the things that, that, that destabilize us spiritually in terms of thinking like Jesus and living like Jesus, I, I can think of a handful of trouble spots that would minimize our ability, things that we were we were cruising along just fine, and then we'd hit a pothole, or we, we'd hit a speed bump. Uh, we'd get a flat tire at this point. I can think of several of those places that are likely to derail us in terms of the calling of thinking and living like Jesus, looking like Jesus. I can think of a handful of them. Conflict. Isn't that true? That I mean, you can be really going and then boom, some kind of internal conflict, some kind of interpersonal conflict pops up and, and boy, it gets a little bit more difficult. I can think of another that would be anxiety. Moments that, that, are, that our heart, our mind, our spirit just kind of shrinks and shrivels and, and just kind of, we, we, we pull back and all of a sudden we were doing great and then Anxiety comes and grabs hold of us. I think another one that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the message, but all that noise, all of that noise that is constantly in our ears all of the time, it is conflict, it is anxiety, it is all of that noise that knocks us off our path, destabilizes us in our desire and our goal to think and live like Jesus to the point that some people even confuse us. Wait, was that Jesus that did that? It's interesting, the passage that we read a few moments ago actually deals with all three of these things. It's the same book of the Bible that we read last week where Paul says, have the same mind as Christ. But before he finishes, he deals with the fact that the people that he is saying think like Jesus have to deal with anxiety, they have to deal with conflict, and they have to deal with all of that noise. And you and I have to deal with conflict, anxiety, and all of that noise. But here's the good news this morning. Here's the news that I can't wait to tell you. The good news is that the place where we need the most help is also the place where God most wants to be at work in our lives. You see, God never came or desired or planned to decorate the outside of our lives. That's never been his purpose to make us shiny objects. But what he's done is he came to transform the inside of our lives. And so the very places where we sometimes struggle to think like Jesus in the midst of conflict and anxiety in the middle of all of that noise, those are the very places that he came to work inside of our lives. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we think about your word we don't just want to know it, Lord. We want to do it. We want it to shape our thinking. We want, to th we want it to shape our living. And Lord, as we put in front of us this morning some of these trouble areas, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to hear from you today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the task is, how do I think like Jesus even in the middle of the hard places? So let's unpack that a little bit this morning. One of the things that I want you to know is that in the face of conflict, we need to think bigger. In the face of conflict, 
Think bigger. Did you notice at the beginning of this passage here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, it talks about two people in the church there in Philippi, and Paul has to write to them and say, man, somebody's got to go help those two people get along. They are in conflict. Now, we don't know what exactly that conflict was about. We don't know what caused it. Boy, we'd really like to dig in and find a footnote and says this is what they were mad about. It could have been that it was a personality conflict. It could have been that they had two very different personalities, and so they just seemed like just, they just irritated each other and got under each other's skin. It may be that they had the exact same personality and really got under each other's skin in that way. It could have been that there was a position in the life of the church that they really both wanted and they presumed that the other person was in their way of getting that position. And maybe it was an official position, a title in the life of the church. Maybe the church was going to vote on who got to have this title. Or maybe it was an unofficial title where everybody just kind of knew there's only one person that can fill that role. And Udia wanted it and Syntyche had it or Syntyche had it and Udia wanted it. Maybe, maybe it was just about some preference. Maybe one of them liked things done in this way and the other person says, no, this is the way it should be. And maybe it was the way that they were hanging the toilet paper in the bathroom. I don't know. One person was over, one person was under. But whatever it was, that the pre I don't want to vote on that right now. Uh, but whatever the preference was, it just really irritated them that the other person had the wrong preference and it really, really mattered. But it didn't. Or maybe it was something important. Maybe it was that there were decisions that were being made in the life of the church and they just had a different idea what needed to come first. Well, what needed to be the first priority and what was the second priority. And so they weren't arguing about small stuff. They, they weren't arguing about something that was right or wrong. It was just lining up which of the good things needed to come first. I don't know. Maybe somebody took the parking space. I, I don't know what it was. But it had gotten to the point that the conflict in this church had reached the point that Paul had to write him a letter about it. Now, this isn't exactly how it happened, but, but I kind of have this imagination that someone said that the, the, the New Testament's just been published. I just got a copy of the New Testament. Did you get your copy of the New Testament? Hey, Judea, Syntyche, you're in here. Your names are mentioned. Well, what did they say about us? Well, it's about that season when you guys couldn't get along. That's in there? Yep, that's what people are going to remember you for, is the fact that you couldn't get along. So I may be so excited to be mentioned in the New Testament, and then you find out that's the part that you get mentioned for. So what are you supposed to do when conflict happens? It happened in that church. It has happened in one or two churches since then. It happens every once in a while. It can happen inside of our church. The two people from different parts of the congregation don't always get along. Sometimes it can happen that there's a little bit of a conflict between people on the platform. Sometimes it's the people on the pew with the person on the platform. Sometimes it goes the other way around. Conflict can happen. And when conflict happens, sometimes we have a difficult time figuring out how do I keep thinking like Jesus when I'm really mad at somebody, 
How do I keep thinking like Jesus when this other person is driving me absolutely nuts? Well, the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, gives a word. He says, somebody come along and help Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In other words, whatever it was, whatever that topic was, whatever the issue was that they were in conflict over, Paul says, remind them that there is something bigger. Remind them that there's stuff that matters more. Remind them to agree in the Lord. Now, how do we agree in the Lord? I think that there are several reminders there. One of the ways in which we agree in the Lord is that we remember the kingdom work. We remember that there is a large task that we've been given to do. Now listen, I want to make this really clear. I'm not talking about conflict in the life of the church because there's an issue at Woodland Park Baptist Church. I'm talking about it because there was an issue at the church in Philippi. But because we have the same DNA as the people in Philippi, it's probably worth taking notes on because every once in a while it pops up in our own world. We have decisions that we have to make here at church. We, we have to make decisions about when is it safe to have Sunday school? When is it not safe to have Sunday school? Should we have one service? Should we have two services? What should we sing on Sunday? When should we have donuts? All those kinds of decisions that are decisions that are made. And sometimes people like the decision that's made. Sometimes they like them a little less. But what we have to remember is that there are things that are bigger than all of that. And that is that we are called together to lift up the name of Jesus. We are called together to hear from the word of God. We are called together to encourage people in their faith. We are called together to invite people to know Jesus for the first time and to help them grow inside of their faith. And that's the kingdom work. And so regardless of what our preference is, regardless of what our priorities are, regardless of what positions you are, our personalities are, it says remember that there is stuff that is bigger. And that brings us unity in that place. So think like Jesus by remembering what is bigger and agree in the Lord. I think another way in which we can agree in the Lord in the middle of conflict is that we can remember to sound like the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Even inside of a conflict, a disagreement, some place in which a discussion has become an argument and maybe an argument has even become a battle and a battle might even have become a war. Even in the middle of that, remember that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. The Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience. And so it may be that there's a conflict. It may be that there's a disagreement. It may be that in this moment you're not on the same page, but if we are to agree in the Lord, we agree that the Spirit of God has got to be expressed inside of my life. And I have to handle that conflict, that disagreement, that awkwardness differently, and I have to sound like the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And my words have to be different, and that's what it means to agree in the Lord. I would also tell you that it means to agree in the Lord it means that no matter how irritated, frustrated, angry, just plain stunned that somebody could be that wrong, 
I still need to remember that they are made in the image of God and that Jesus died for that person. And so no matter what the level of my angry or disbelief or frustration may be, I better put a guard on my life that I never take a whack at their dignity or their value or their worth. Because if we're going to agree in the Lord, we have to agree that the image of God is on their life, that Jesus loved them and cared for them so much that he died for them. And so even in the middle of conflict that bumps us off our desire to think like Jesus, he tells us, you got to see something bigger. I know you disagree at this point, but there is a larger picture than that point of disagreement. It may be that every time you run into that person, you look at them and say, man, I can't believe they're still wrong on that topic. And they may still be. But boy, the way we treat them, the words that come out of our mouth, and our gathering together for mission have to be bigger than any conflict that we ever face. Is that true? Now, I hate to be in conflict with you about that, but, but that's true, right? It is. I'll also tell you that this passage takes us not just to conflict, it also takes us to anxiety. In fact, it tells us that in the face of anxiety, we have to think higher. Here it is in verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about. Do you see where it's going here? It says, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, that's really throwing a blanket statement over your entire life, isn't it? Well, that's maybe one of the biggest challenges that we face in a world that is just full of anxiety today. But the Word of God says, do not be anxious about anything. And I think that that's a real struggle for us today because I think that anxiety is creeping further and further into our lives and spreading further and further across our culture. I can't say that I fully understand the reasons why anxiety is more rampant than it's ever been. And I'm not an expert on anxiety. But I think sometimes when I think of anxiety, it's one of those moments, it's one of those seasons, it's one of those times when the weight of our life, the weight of our, of our obligations, the weight of a particular moment, a duty, a task, just feels as though it's just too much on top of us that we can hardly breathe and we can hardly keep going. It is as though you were standing up inside of a tent and somebody kicked the poles out and the whole weight of that tent is on you because you're now the tallest thing inside of that tent and you can feel that weight that's tugging and for the first moment you might kind of chuckle and say boy that's kind of strange that the whole tent fell down but then the weight on that starts to you start to feel it and then your neck starts to bow a little bit because you know what I've been holding this tent up for a little bit longer and then you start to begin to wonder whether you can breathe inside of that tent and if there's any hope and are you going to get out of this tent or not but here's what the word of God is telling us he is reminding us that while it may feel like we're the tallest thing inside of that tent and we have to hold all of that up 
that that's not true. Because God is the highest, tallest thing inside of the tent that is your life. And as it walks through this passage of Scripture, he does not simply say, don't be anxious. But what he says is, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. See his presence. He says, the Lord is at hand. He is the one who is tall. He is the one who is high. He is the one who is going to hold that tent up. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, I'm not saying you're not going to feel that weight, but what we need to understand is that we are not obligated to carry all of that weight ourselves. In fact, God says, when you feel that weight, then you need to pay attention to the presence of God in praise and thanksgiving and worship and in prayer and supplications and requests and say, God, this is heavy. I need you to lift this off of me. The amazing thing is that God says in verse 7 that if we will do that, instead of owning that weight and saying, all of this is on me, that we will Lean into the pole, the tall, the highest that is God. He says in verse 7, The peace of God that surpasses all understandings will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. At the point of anxiety, at the weight of the overwhelming, it says that the peace of God will come and he will guard your hearts and your minds. That's the whole heart of this sermon series is overcoming and recovering from spiritual and mental fatigue. How am I supposed to think? Well, when the weight hits us, we find the pole, we find the one who's taller than us who will take that weight and when we turn that over through prayer and supplication and requests, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. It's amazing, a word for our lives. I want to come back and I want to talk about one more thing. I talk about in the face of noise, we need to think better. In the face of noise, what are we talking about in terms of noise? Well, it's been a noisy six weeks, hasn't it? We had weather reports telling us how bad things were going to be. We had crowds and lines at Walmart and at Home Depot as we tried to buy some supplies and we could just feel that noise. In the night of the storm, we heard the wind, the rain, the lightning. We heard the things beating against the house. We heard the trees snapping and crackling. We could feel the things hitting our house sometimes. It was noise. After the storm, we began to hear streets full of generators. It was never quiet. It was a generator here and a generator here and a generator here. 
And in just the time the, the generators went away, the roofers showed up. Well, we laughed this week. Uh, Brian came to work earlier than he's ever come to work before because the roofers showed up at his house that day. He said, I can't stay in that house. Uh, our roof was fine, but two or three houses around us, man, they've been working on roofs for, for weeks now. It's loud. It's disruptive. You can't think. You, you can't do anything because of the noise. Several years ago when I was in Eunice, we were installing a new sound system. And one of the things that they had to do, and this is over my, my head, well, kind of like this one, but it was over my, my head uh, because they had to calibrate it so that every different seat would hear the same sound and all of that. And so what they did is that they, they, they had to play noise in the room while they set all the, the dials and, and things uh, of that nature. And so they played just this static Remember like when your TV goes out, your cable goes out, it's just static. But they, they played it at like a hundred decibels of, of sound and overwhelmed that room. And I, I'd go and say, hey, how's it going? How's it going? No, ha, ha, never mind. It was just too loud. You couldn't speak. But not only that, you couldn't think. And it just became overwhelming and oppressive. You and I live in a world where we hear things hitting against us all the time. We hear this background droning of just noises that just wear us out. We live with just this hammering against us and sometimes it is just this overwhelming white noise that just disconnects our brains, and we can't even think. And so the Word of God comes to us and says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, there's noise. And yet sometimes we have to hear the message and the things that matter. I was trying to think through, okay, what, what am I supposed to think and feel and know about this list? The things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. So I tried to, I tried to understand it by, by giving some thought to the negative. If I'm not listening to the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, if, if that's not what I'm listening to, then, then, then what's the other noise? Well, it's the things that are false, the things that are dishonorable, the things that are unfair, the things that are corrupted, the things that are ugly, the things that are deplorable, the things that are terrible, and the things that are overdue for correction. Oh, my friends, we are swimming. We are swimming in this noise of the things that are false, dishonorable, unfair, corrupted, ugly, deplorable, terrible, and overdue for correction. So why is it that we need to listen to things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise? 
because they are gifts from God. Those are the things that God has poured out his spirit, that he has poured out his identity into those things. Those are the great gifts that he's given to us, that even though sin is breaking this world, there are still some places that the fingerprint of God is better than the smudges of sin. And we need to think and focus on those things and think better because they come from God. Those things also matter. Those things also matter because they point us to Jesus. I will tell you that if you develop a hunger, a taste, a thirst, if you begin to crave and just seek after the things that are good, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, you're going to end up at Jesus. That's where the breadcrumbs are going to go. That's where the clues are going to go. That's where the path is going to go. All of those things are going to take you to Jesus because he is the source of every one of those things. But I will also tell you that for the believer... Focusing our mind on the things that are good, honorable, just is so important because it guards us against reverse discipleship. It guards us against reverse discipleship. We try to talk every once in a while about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and that means to joyfully embrace the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. As a believer in Christ, we, we want to make sure that we are excited about those things of Jesus. But I will tell you that you and I are swimming in white noise. We are swimming in a hammering. We are swimmer, swimming in a storm of things that are very opposite of the things of God. And if we're not careful, the things that are false, dishonorable, unfair, corrupted, ugly, deplorable, terrible, and overdue for correction will begin to disciple us more than the things of Jesus. And instead of joyfully pursuing the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus, we will find ourselves pursuing the patterns, priorities, and purpose of this broken world. And I'll stretch that one step further and I'll say that not only will we be pursuing the patterns, priorities, and purpose of this world, but we will end up doing it with clenched teeth because that's what this world gives us. We will be angrily pursuing the patterns, priorities, and purpose of this world if we do not pay attention to the things that are good, honorable, just, right, and worthy of praise. Now keep in mind it says that when we turn our anxiety into prayer, then the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. But what I want you to see here in verse 9 is that it says that when we will think on these things, that the God of peace will be ours. We will not just have the peace of God, but we will have the God of peace in our lives. Now you and I need to think better because the stuff that is out there that is being fed into our hearts and minds, to be honest, is poisoning our soul. And so intentionally, we must pursue the true, the honorable, the just, the pure, the lovely, commendable, excellent, and the things that are worthy of praise. 
So what does this mean in our lives? What is the application for us today? Well, I want to start with that noise. And I want to speak a little specifically. I want you to honestly think about some of the noise that surrounds you. Some of that noise, you don't have a choice. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're putting the roof on the next door house. You can't control what happens there. You overhear all of that stuff. But you and I are letting some stuff into our own hearts and minds by choice. And I want to challenge you in a couple of places. I want to challenge you in terms of social media. I want you to just kind of take that list from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 and take a look at your social media and say, okay, yes, no, 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 maybe, no, yes. Whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it may be, take a look at that. And I'll also just tell you, take a look at your TV, what you're streaming, what's your appointment television. I would challenge you, I'd challenge you to be careful about the amount of cable news that you're consuming every evening. I will tell you that those channels on all different sections of the dial are designed to make you go to bed angry at the world. And for you to tune in tomorrow just to make sure that you haven't missed anything to be angry about. Man, it's not helping your soul. It's not even fixing America. It's just teaching us to be angry. And I would just hold it up against the words of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. I would put a little challenge out to you to identify some social media, something that you're streaming, something that you finish your day with every day. Maybe if you were to fast from that for 30 days, it would have a huge impact on the way that you think, and it would help bring some recovery to mental and spiritual fatigue that you're facing. 30 days, you'll be better, and America will still be okay. It'll be just where you left it. I would also say in terms of anxiety, man, all of us would like to pray more. All of us would like to pray better. A reminder that I try to give myself is to allow worry to be my trigger for prayer. Whatever it is that just brings that cloud of worry or fear or anxiety, if I can make that my trigger point for prayer, do I worry about my finances? As soon as that cloud comes over me, I need to spend a couple minutes praying about my finances. Am I worried about my kids? Man, if that cloud comes over me, it's a trigger to stop and to pray. 
Am I worried about the future? Am I worried about my health? Let that be a trigger to pray. I'm telling you that if we would allow that just to flip a switch for us, and it moves us from anxiety to prayer, man, it'd change your prayer life. It'd change all of life. And then when it comes to the conflict, my guess is that it's possible that many of us are in at least one conflict that we don't need to be in. <laughs> we're in the middle of this. We're mad at somebody. We're mad about something. Somebody's offended us, and we're carrying that with us. <laughs> Man, I'd, I'd find one conflict in your life today to just kick to the street. <laughs> like, man, it is, it is not worth carrying, man. It's got to go. It's eating your groceries. It's got to go. Maybe you're in a war and you need to step that back. Maybe you're in a battle and you need to step that back. Maybe you're in an argument and you need to step that back. Maybe you're just in some kind of disagreement. Man, you don't got to carry all that conflict. The big stuff that really, really matters, it's being taken care of at a higher level than you and I exist at. The big stuff that really, really matters, God's already handled that. The little stuff, well, he's handled that as well. Man, you and I are in conflicts that we don't have to be in. And we're there because sometimes we just can't see the door out. Or we forget that, wait a minute, I'm in this conflict voluntarily. I haven't been drafted into this conflict. I signed up for this conflict. And there's the ability to step back and to find a way to agree in the Lord for purpose, for mission, to make sure that you sound like the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And maybe just to be reminded that as crazy as that person is, they are made in the image of God. And Jesus died for that person. And he cares about that person as much as he cares for you and as much as he cares for me. Let me pray for you.